Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is a woman who's managed to straddle a career in broadcasting across a range of genres, which, as we discuss, is no mean feat. Her latest incarnation sees her tackle menopause head-on. She's done a TV documentary and has a book coming out soon. Mariella Frostrop is funny, irreverent and not afraid to speak her mind. She arrived in the UK from Ireland as a 16-year-old determined to make her way in the world. And maybe it's that that sees her give off the air of being an outsider but at the heart of the matter. She's a fierce campaigner too for a range of human rights issues, working with Oxfam and Save the Children to name but two. That all sounds very serious, but trust me, her gravelly laugh appears often on this podcast. This episode is brought to you by Solgar, who've been keeping people topped up with essential vitamins and minerals since 1947, so they know what they're doing. Check out the vitamin C and D ranges to help ward off those seasonal bugs. I realised I was writing a little introduction, which you'll be grateful to know that it's already been recorded because it's painful to have to do that in front Hallelujah of people. Hallelujah for that. Um, that, um, I, that. I don't think I've actually ever met you before. I don't think we've actually... I think I, no? I, And you're one of those people that I feel I've known my whole life. <laughs> and there was an incident which I really vividly remember. I was, I'd just come out of my gynaecologist in St. John's Wood and at a place called Vivica. And That's my gynecologist, well, though, so coming, maybe we have met. Well, you came out, and I was just getting into the car. I was heavily pregnant with twins, and you came out. And I nearly got out of the car to say hello, as if I, as if you were my one of my best friends. And then I stopped myself and thought it was a moment of pregnancy madness that we weren't actually friends and I didn't know you. And I've done it before to other people and in very embarrassing situations. I once did it to Jeremy Paxman. I genuinely went, I go, hi, how are you? And he looked at me like I was a complete fool. And it was that moment, no, I don't know you at all. And people do it to me and I think, oh, they're idiots. And then I do it to other people and realise yeah, it's just no, that. I've done it. I did it once to Harrison Ford. <laughs> You've just topped I swear me. I God, in a cafe on Kensington High Street. It wasn't a glamour. <laughs> location. I mean, I'm not going to go, oh yeah, it was at the Cannes Film Festival in 1998. So it was uh, at some cafe on Kensington High Street, which I think explains my confusion. And I walked in and I saw this guy and I thought, oh yeah, hi, how are you? And then I thought, <laughs> oh my God, it's Harrison Ford. Did he say how he was? Did he reply? He went, hi, but you know, I don't think he knows who he knows and who he doesn't know half the time. <laughs> so, yeah. so he probably thought, oh yeah, might have on a bad night I don't know <laughs> but, the, but that whole thing of you feeling like you've been in our lives for, for for so long and then when you started doing stuff around the menopause and you did your documentary it really took me back because I thought no because you can't be that age because you <laughs> it's like you've been the same age forever do you know what I mean like you you're so grown up when when you were young you were so like really you know when you were kind of bursting onto the scene in the 80s you were so grown up and sophisticated and then you stayed as that person it's so funny that you should say that because I don't obviously think that at all about myself but I used to work um in the 80s uh, with Patsy Kensett, who is really, I mean, I love her to pieces even now. And it's one of my great sadnesses that we sort of drifted in different directions, but nothing, you know, no bad reasons. Just, you know, I couldn't quite get on with when she was married to Liam. I think that was like the final. And uh, anyway, um, and I love Patsy so much. And when she talks about me back then, Bearing in mind I was in my early 20s, she says, oh, my God, you were so grown up. You used to wear suits. And she said, I, I don't think you did, but I always imagine you with a clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, the person she describes, I've got really no real recollection of. But I do think if you're the eldest of five, 
and you leave home particularly young as I did, that you do grow up quite fast for both those reasons. You know, it would be enough to be the eldest of five in a slightly, you know, dysfunctional family, but then to sort of leave young and start taking care of yourself at kind of 16. I mean, by the time you're 20, you're really 50. So you're just, you know? you've just got a natural air of responsibility, which I think lends itself then when you do dive into a topic like midlife and, you know, the whole um, menopause, People just trust you then, don't they? That, that I think that you are going to find the best nuggets, the best information <laughs> because you've got that. You are responsible. So, but sometimes being the responsible adult in the room can be a bit tiring, can't it? And a little bit um, tedious. Oh, exhausting. But I don't think I've ever let it restrain me. <laughs> I don't think I've ever sort of thought about it to any great extent or define myself like that. I'm interested when other people say it in the same way. It's a sort of anthropological experiment to hear what other people think you're like or how they perceive you, because it's invariably, I'm sure you're um, more than, uh, you know, familiar with this. It's, it's, it's actually, you know, never really who you are. You know, they, yeah. they think you're better. They think you're worse. They think you're shorter. They think you're taller. They think you're fatter or smaller, you know, whatever. And it's never quite the right thing. I mean, most people are incredibly disappointed when they see Tom Cruise in real life because they've only ever seen him on one of those giant screens. I mean, obviously pre-COVID when you still went to the cinema. And, and so then this little small guy, you know, like my height, virtually walks into the room and they're like that little midgety guy over there looks just like Tom Most Cruise. Hollywood stars are like that aren't they? They are. Yeah just... because you always think they're going to be huge. I remember interviewing Willem Dafoe um, just after he'd made Platoon and do you remember that scene you know yeah, where yeah, he's shot yeah, 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 and the yeah. body ricochets. My son does a great um, impersonation of it and um, and I walked into this hotel room I think it was a Oh, was that one in South Kenkel Browns or something? Yeah, yeah. I think it was called. And I walked into the hotel room and there was this little dainty guy, like a little sort of elf and leprechaun y kind of creature sitting on a sofa perched, you know. And I thought, where's Willem? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, of course, Willem. Well, um, it's, because it's, you just so, don't expect it. And, you know, no. Platoon was huge and there was yeah. blood and guns and war and Vietnam. And he couldn't be this little balletic little creature well that the men i mean the women are just r ridiculously small and tiny aren't they yeah and the men yeah. are also midgets even they the are, men really. that look pumped and really kind of strong and, and macho are tiny you know like you yeah. just they just they, you feel like you absolutely do oh, i always feel like i used to do a show on five live and they weren't, weren't so much on my show they were kind of coming in to see richard bacon and they'd walk past <laughs> the window and, I, and i'd be like that can't be him because I'd see who was coming up in the roster and I thought they must spend their life with people like me looking disappointed going oh god no that's no I think that's the actor's lot but it's interesting as well because I wonder if being small you know because there's always all kinds of theories about being small aren't there I mean I'm small um I mean small height wise I wonder if it makes you more pushy yeah you know like, because all of those small actors have pushed their way to the top of the pile haven't they you know yeah. whereas all the tall ones where are they? Yeah. Well, my son is 15 and he's six foot five. And um, he loves... Six foot five? Yeah, and he loves sport. He's a very good sportsman, but he does love acting. And I said to him, I hate to break this to you, but the only job available for you is when The Rock retires. There is no, you know, there is no, no, no acting. No, because what they might do, well, I think they already have though, but he could do it third time round. When they recast Jack Reacher. Yes, he 
know, because obviously hopelessly miscast as Tom Cruise. <laughs> yes, now I think they've got somebody completely different because they're doing a TV version. Right, and they've got somebody um, who actually is quite a And they've got someone who is quite a big guy. I can't remember who they were talking. I don't know if they haven't even cast it yet. Don't know. But anyway, so maybe there's still a chance for him. M- but maybe. He's, is he a basketball player? He that does would play be basketball. My he plays rugby, sport. basketball, <laughs> rowing, all the tall sports. But he's, um, yeah, he's he's got this kind of strange not strange at all but you wouldn't necessarily if you met him you'd be you you wouldn't necessarily say like we we're saying about perceptions of people you wouldn't automatically say oh he's a thespian no, he just loves acting which kind of took yeah. us by surprise quite interesting combo as well acting and sport yeah i think because you you do have to in sport i think that you have to enjoy being a bit of a showman and especially sports where you need to be a bit creative like rugby or something where you've got where well, especially centre, nowadays because so. there's no like anything that you do that's in the public eye in any shape or form you have to sort of be a, a, a a, a sort of showman in some shape or form as well, don't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could ask you about all kinds of small actors, but um, that that, <laughs> <laughs> that would that would it's not going to be, be my my celebrity mastermind topic. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I kind of forget about because your your persona now and the things that you do now is quite different, isn't it, to what you first when you first came over from Ireland as a young woman? The kind of things you got involved, you much more involved in music, and then obviously your art the arts if you like Mariella of the arts was was kind of the <laughs> the Sounds area like something something that you'd find in lords <laughs> people visit you and take your holy water but you um but you created you almost there's no there's no kind of boundary to what you've been able to do which is really rare for a woman in broadcasting to not have that Well, you you say that, (laughs) but it's felt like there's been constant boundaries. And so, you know, inordinate amounts of time have been spent pushing against the sort of slightly malleable, but not knockdownable wall, you know, I mean, forget ceiling, just to go forward, you know, rather than ascend to elevated heights. So are there things that you would have liked to have done that you haven't done then? Well, I think gradually, you know, basically I've been allowed to do each one, one by one. So I was uh, allowed to be a, a person, you know, involved in the music business and and understand that. And that's how I started on television, on Channel 4 with Big World. And so that, that was Mariella, music Mariella. And then I, then I got um, uh, offered a show on Sky that was about movies. And that completely baffled everyone because that was music, Mariella. So what were they doing talking about movies? So, oh, you know, and it's like a Monty Python sketch, you know, like when in Life of Brian when they're following the Messiah and then they stop following another Messiah. And <laughs> so you know, the whole crowd has to change direction. So the direction changed to movie, Mariella. And then, and then there was a whole kind of reshuffle had to happen uh, uh, around the sort of early 40s mark when it became books, Mariella. And that was... Very, very tricky because obviously music Mariella and movie Mariella <laughs> couldn't possibly know about books as well. And, you know, which used to just infuriate me so much because if you talk to most people who are interested at all in any form of, of the arts, you know, movies, books, music, most of us, mm. you know, imbue those things on a daily basis just because we like them. We listen to an album, we listen to a track, we we, we might read a book, it might be a self-help book, or it might be, you know, War and Peace, you know, who knows. Uh, and, and, and the same with films, whether it's a Marvel movie or, you know, Jean de Fleur, you know, everyone mixes, you know, very yeah. easily with those different disciplines. So why on earth would it be strange that someone might have, you know, some degree of, of interest in all three of them? So 
I think that's where the sort of the frustration um, might so lie. the way you glided between those from the outside wasn't the case actually at all then it was much harder than it than it looks because it seems completely natural to be across all forms of the arts you know whether it's well, I think it is and and I think nowadays maybe it's it's easier but you know I do think that the world has changed dramatically for women I don't think it's changed nearly enough but I do think it's changed dramatically in my working lifetime. When I was um, ITV first, I was doing. Well, sport. you must have had it with sport. Well, I, mean, I couldn't. I wasn't possibly. I couldn't woman. possibly do anything else. You know, it had to be just sport. And I was getting offered various things around ITV from different departments. So you could see that I was fairly decent as a live presenter. And oh, she could do mm. this. Or could. And my boss in sports said, "Not yet." I'm not sure the viewers trust you just yet that you know and you know that you're basically saying it's that so it was outrageous. I was going to be insulting them somehow if I went off and did yeah. something else but I still know yeah. about football but yeah because you had your niche you mentioned about being outspoken and um you see it's you are but it but I, I hate saying that because it sounds like you you shouldn't have an opinion you know and 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 you see, you, I don't even think of it as outspoken anymore. No, I just no, think no, of it as, as like just saying what you think, yeah. which basically is a, I think is a sort of rudimentary human right. And one that women in particular should be encouraged to utilize more because for so many millennia, we've been encouraged to just keep quiet, keep under the radar and just get on with it. And, you know, there comes a point where that is too tedious. Aside does, from anything else, does that um, does it get magnified as you as you hit middle <laughs> life? Did you feel yourself going? Do you know what? I haven't got time to pussyfoot around this conversation. I'm just going to say it as it is. I do believe that one of the few benefits. I mean, there are benefits of growing older, definitely. But you know, let's not beat about the bush. The the the, the sort of you know direct connection with your own mortality isn't the most thrilling thing to encounter because I don't know about you, but I still, you know, I think everyone's stuck at a certain age, you know, in their heads, they think they are that age. And I really, I'm 38. And so when I look in the mirror and I see a face that doesn't look like a 38 year old, I think what's happened? I'm 38. <laughs> and so, so I do think that, um, you know, the, 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 the great things about getting older, although I extol them a lot of the time, aren't necessarily, you know, there's not a great abundance of them. You need to seek them out. But one of them, most definitely, that, you know, I think, you know, we should all point to is just that sense of knowing yourself and really not in a sort of, I don't know, ranty, you know, angry women, old women way. Uh, I can't remember, I'm sure there was a programme called that once. Um, but just in a way where you sort of feel like whatever the fallout is, it's worth it. Because you know what you think and you see no reason not to express it. Who do you it. think does that brilliantly? Like, you know, women who are older than you, women who, who've gone before. Is, is there anybody that you think, yeah, she, she got that right that being well, able to I mean I think lots of I, I think lots of women have done it funnily enough I was um, doing a thing on Natalie Wood the other day who would not be an obvious uh, choice potentially but her daughter was talking about her and talked me through her sort of history and I realized that here was yet another woman who history has 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 uh, defined in one way her death tragic Natalie yeah. death off mm. the boat 
dodgy husband perhaps allegedly but maybe not but you know fragile woman you know probably a bit drunk um and actually her daughter was talking about her and how she stood up to the sort of hollywood system when she was 18 years old and 20 years old as a starlet and and basically said that she wasn't going to adhere to the studio system and went on strike and didn't work for three months um at 18 at 18 and i mean that Hollywood system is not a fight that is for the faint-hearted, mm. even now, mm. even if you're a man. <laughs> so the fact that, you know, Natalie Wood went... And she had it. a career and after just, it. And she had a career after it. And I just think that there are... I think that most women, when they reach maturity, speak their mind. And an awful lot of them may not get the sort of airtime of, of or, you know, the oxygen of publicity or whatever. But I think that that most women do. And, you know, whether that's to a small friendship group or a wider fraternity and whether it's historical and history's just like rolled over you with a giant kind of, you know, one of those flattening machines, you know, which I think happened to a lot of women. I think that, I think that women do speak their minds, but history doesn't always record it. And so if that, you said there aren't that many positives, but you do strike me as somebody who is on erring on the side of positivity generally. You don't seem like somebody who... Yeah, is no, I'm not depressed about being older or anything. I'm just mm. saying, like, um, okay, so in my 20s, would I want to go back to being in my 20s? Absolutely not. That was a terrible time of deep insecurity and fear and, you know... Oh, torturous love affairs! And Does, just, you've no, got a I teenage daughter as well, haven't you? I think I think our daughters are not dissimilar in age. Molly's um, fifteen. Yeah. yeah, Lois is fifteen tomorrow, and um, oh. and as much as I'm so excited for her future, and she's you know she's got loads of hopes and dreams. It, you can't possibly begin to tell her what's what her twenties are going to be no. like. Without... No, but you know what? What you can hope is that because of how you brought them up they'll be that bit less desperate and that bit more resilient. Uh, I mean, I'm not speaking for you. No, I, began, I, don't know I was beginning to think you were following me around when I was 24. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you lurking? <laughs> but, you know, I was, I was um, not resilient. Well, I was probably resilient, but I was definitely, you know, really, really uh, insecure and desperate to find home. And my definition of home, because I had no other understanding of it, was, you know, to find a partner to and be in a, be a home yeah. and be in a relationship. And, you know, my dad had died when I was 15. So I was trying to fill a giant space, you know, a sort of dad sized space, which really no man could fill, you know, when it's that desperate and you're that young and you're that sort of um fresh from the pain of it. So, you know, it was, you know, every breakup was a devastation. Um, um, and, and the only men I was attracted to were, you know, addicts of one kind or another or deeply dysfunctional because they were all like my dad, you know, who was an alcoholic. So it just was not a good time. And then in my 30s, it got a little bit better. Um, and then in my 40s, it was really good. And so if I could actually return to any sort of time again and I, I don't think I'd go back much further than the magic 38 <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that would have been you know that was just about to meet my my now husband and 
Do you think yeah, if was... you'd met him at 28, you would have had a successful relationship with him? I wouldn't have noticed him. Uh, he wouldn't. He was not my type. He was uh, too functional, too Anglo-Saxon. I liked the more Roman type, <laughs> if you will, and preferably with kind of ancient Roman sort of moral codes as well, you know, where you were definitely to be kept in the kitchen and things. I really, you know, I went full throttle for dysfunction. <laughs> and um, and so I don't think I would have, you know, he, he would have been, you know, a good friend probably, but I would have, you know, treated with great nonchalance. And uh, I think I was just really, really lucky to meet him when I did, when, I, when I'd sort of grown old enough to notice that this was actually a really nice man who was kind and decent and loved me. <laughs> Magic ingredient in a relationship. <laughs> Note to self, you know. Um, and so I'm saying all that just because I do think that um, there are all kinds of wonderful things about reaching midlife. I just don't want to lie and go, oh yeah, I feel stronger and physically at my best. And, you know, I'm going on holidays in 10 days time. And, you know, every time I go on a sunny holiday, there's the dread of the beach moment. And then you get there and you just don't care. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been known to be wearing virtually a thong after three days, just because I sort of go from thinking, I can't expose this to the world to, well, not bad for 58 (laughs) but that is a low bar (laughs) yeah but i think the secret to um getting older and beach holidays is just the right bikini or the right swimsuit you know stop messing about with the string bikini gabby hand it down to the to the younger generation to your daughter (laughs) i think a little bit of upholstery but the trouble is with upholstered bikinis that they then dig into the fat you know the sort of loose skin so i've now settled for I like a triangle bikini. Is that what they're called? That's not the make, you know, like, you know, just a one with, I've got no breasts. So I like the ones with the tie, you know, the little triangle of fabric and the tie at the sides, you know, the pants uh, that cover your bottom. Yeah. I think that that's only fair to the world. It sounds like you've got the bikini, you've got the bikini sorted. Uh, You're still 38 (laughs) in your head. Um, But I want to know how you came, because obviously... The, what you're doing in this space in the menopause and obviously you're, you're going to be uh, co-authoring a book as well this is this is you're going to own this space now Mariella this is this is gone we've gone from arts from from film to music <laughs> and now we've got menopause Mariella what yeah. what drew you because there's so many things you can write about what was it that drew you in and you thought this is this is somewhere I have to explore a bit more because not every writer does well um when I, this is eight years ago, I mean, now, to be quite honest, you say I'm going to claim the space. I mean, every day I interview someone who's written a book about the menopause <laughs> and a tiny bit of me dies inside, but the other <laughs> bit of me thinks fantastic because the more books there are, the more we acknowledge it, the more we say it, the better it is. But truly, eight years ago, when I was 50, um, I mean, I just interviewed Jenny Eclair the other day. She's actually nicked my title because she's called her as the survive, a, a survivor's guide which is exactly what I was going to call mine. But you know what? I'm a sister. I don't mind. <laughs> and hers um, is out. <laughs> and hers is out. And, you know, by next year, it'll be, you know, this year's chip paper. It's, you know, it's a terrible thing, the whole sort of media scramble. So I'll be the new book about the menopause. But the reason that I decided to write about it, the reason that I got animated about it to start with was just because, first of all, I couldn't believe that I was so pig ignorant. 
and that having, you know, prided myself really as a sort of autodidact um, through my life that I'd sort of taught myself about most things, you know, I felt quite worldly. And then along came this thing that every woman will experience. And I was totally blindsided. I, I wasn't expecting it. I sort of knew it was around, but, you know, it was just something. So what that was the first you, thing? What was your first physical um, Well, that's the thing. That my first physical thing, which went on for two years before I even had a clue what it was, because I was so, you know, ignorant, was um, terrible anxiety. But worse than the anxiety, really, sleeplessness. I mean, I, was, I became an insomniac. I would wake up on the half hour all through the night and I would wake up with palpitations, worrying. And my, my worry knew, knew, sen knew no sensible boundaries. Like I could be worrying about the fact that I hadn't put plum tomatoes on the Ocado list <laughs> or I could be worrying about world peace. In the same North Korea, in the same and absolutely in the same minute, and with the same level of adrenaline and worry and stress, stress. Mostly. So, what did you think it was then at the beginning? I just thought, God, you know, I'm going a bit bonkers, um, and and then I thought I must be really stressed, and then I tried to think about, you know, what might be really stressing me, and short of like what to do for my fiftieth birthday, which was a big worry, um, and in the end, I did nothing at all because it was too much of a worry. And aside from that, there wasn't really anything particular. You know, my kids were touch, you know, fit and healthy and, you know, work was okay and, you know, everything was fine. And, and so, and I did go to the doctor three times and they, three times they tested, did blood tests on me to see if I was menopausal. And each time the blood test came back with a different diagnosis so I think one I was perimenopausal the next I was postmenopausal and then I was mid-menopausal you know and I mean none of them were particularly accurate and you know one of the things you find out when you delve into the subject you know further is that those tests are appallingly bad and in fact hopefully they've got a new one now which they do with a hair follicle which they use obviously because the world is much more interested in our fertility than our menopause they use it to gauge whether a woman is still fertile, but obviously it does the same thing. It tells you if you're not, so it tells you if you're if you're menopausal, which will be a lot better than the blood test, which really doesn't tell you very much at all. Very much at all. Um, and so I had this two years of stress. Then I went to see this great gynecologist who was a woman, and you know she sat and listened to me, and I said, I just don't know. I don't know. You know, it's not even a gynecological problem. You know, there's nothing particular going on down there. It all seems to be up here. And she said, Oh, let's do a few tests, and you don't need to feel like that. And as soon as she said, You don't feel need to feel like that, I was like, Oh no, I really do feel like that. And so you know, she said, you know, took in a sort of more holistic picture of what was going on with me and said, you're definitely menopausal. Your, your, your estrogen levels are, you know, you know, rock bottom. You need to start taking uh, HRT. And, um, you know, maybe you might want to, it, it, I have to say she was private because I'd just despaired by then of ever finding out what was wrong with me. Um, and she, and I say that because she then said, well, you might need to take a bit of testosterone as well. And, you know, a few supplements. And it was, it was, it was like, you know, black magic. I, it was, these are all things I'd never had. I mean, I was like, testosterone, 
for a woman? Are you crazy? You know, and, and, and all of it I was completely in ignorance of. And so I then thought, well, if I'm this unaware of what's happening with me, and the more I tried to talk to like friends about it and things, you know, even really good friends who I consider to be emancipated, feisty women were all a little bit, Ooh, I don't want to talk about that, Ooh, you know. And I thought, this is insane. Um, you know, obviously, if everyone's really embarrassed about it, then the thing I need to do is go on nationwide television and talk about it. Uh, because um, why would I be embarrassed? <laughs> um, and then, then, that, then, then started a sort of three-year kind of struggle to get it commissioned, you know, with, with commissioning editors going, um, and pass the sick bag when I'd bring it up. Um, and then eventually the program got commissioned. And so it was sort of one, one thing led to another. And, 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 and then, you know, having made the program, you know, the trouble with television, as, as you'll know only too well, is you really do just sort of skim the surface of a subject. I thought it was a really good program, but there was so much else that I wanted to have in there. You know, there wasn't anything about sex in your 50s or, you know, so many of the things, you know, testosterone, so many of the things that, that, that you know, again... I think the majority of women really don't know very much about. So and sim- actually, you know, symptoms are, you know, so widespread, aren't they? And and, and so just varying for everybody. So you can't possibly cover those all off in one program. But that's the most infuriating thing about how the menopause is treated, to be honest, because, you know, every single one of us will have completely unique, subjective symptoms. And yet every single one of us, unless you're really lucky and got enough money to go to a really good private doctor or you stumble on one, you know, a national health doctor who's who's actually made it their specialist subject. I mean, most of them only have to study. I mean, doctors in general, even, you know, private ones. So, um, the doctors in general have only have to do a morning study of menopause. You know, and yet it's going to affect 50% of the population in, you know, extraordinarily debilitating ways for a lot of of women. So basically, unless you're lucky enough to stumble on someone who kind of identifies what's going on with you and what you need for it, you know, you can be stumbling around in the dark for years. And you think of all that wasted potential, all these amazing women out there in their 50s with everything to give to either their families or and their homes and or just the all that wisdom as well all that knowledge and all that wisdom and knowledge and yet it's basically you know pushed aside because we're all sort of like homogeneous and lumped together men i mean it's very interesting with private medicine because that's sort of because it's to do with money they really are quite ruthless in the way that the national health isn't because it's all embracing and with private medicine, um, if you have any symptom related to the menopause, three at least of the major big providers, AXA being one of them, don't cover you. But if you're a man and you go to the doctor in your 50s with anxiety or sleeplessness, then you're covered. So basically, women's symptoms are all lumped together and call the menopause. And if you're so lucky- a man who, who may be suffering anxiety because of menopause would be yes, covered. would be covered, but women aren't because they can lump us all together and give it this well, banner that heading. that needs a legal challenge. And, <laughs> yeah, I, no, absolutely. Listen, I, you know, I know so anybody? did it. And then, and then I just, I was like, I said to my husband, what do you think if I, and he went, I'm just telling you now, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> not doing I'm it not pro doing bono. It. <laughs> and I'm definitely not doing it pro bono. 
so so the, the book kind of followed on because there's just so much so much to talk about i mean it's fascinating so, so many people that I've spoken to for this um, podcast, we've, we've had men, women, not necessarily there yet, you know, kind of experiencing. And, we, and what we do is we bring in an expert in different areas. So we had a sleep expert. We've had um, somebody talking a bit more about hormones. And today I'm going to bring in um, an expert on nutrition um, and Ooh. a nutritionist. And the thing that I want to, um, Paul Chamberlain, who is head of nutrition for Solgar, the thing that I really want to ask him about because it's the thing that bothers me I think more than anything that's coming down the road is the brain because I kind of you know the aging thing you know skin we can all you know if you want to throw money at your skin if you want to have a good facial if you want to get you know whatever the the external stuff is taken care of if you like there's stuff out there and it's not about dementia or you know that that other stuff which is a you know a whole different thing it's it's this idea of brain fog and forgetting things and not and not being as sharp and you know being kind of a little bit slow Gabby are you bringing Paul in especially for me because because you're just detailing there all of my symptoms and I've got you know extra worries about it because um you know my grandmother and my mother both have dementia I mean my grandmother's dead now sadly but my mum has it badly and you know it runs in the female line so the minute I forget anything the minute I have any form of brain fog I think it's coming so you know I'm dying to hear what he has to say I think he'd disapprove if I'd be eating a breadstick with some no, olive chocolate. Oh, look here there he comes! He is. Just There's in time. Paul. And Mariella's going to have a breadstick, Paul, while I start. <laughs> I'm starving. Um, Sorry, this new job means that I don't get to eat, so I just have to eat. To when be I fair can. to Mariella, at the very beginning, she said, "I'm bringing my snacks," and then I never saw anything, and I thought <laughs> she, she she has invisible snacks. So I'm glad she's she's munching a breadstick. No, they're um, real so, snacks. So the, the area, Paul, that I really want to kind of drill into with you in terms of supplements and what we can do to help um either improve ward off or just keep everything as sharp as well i don't it's not gonna be as sharp as ever is it because as i said to my grandma who's 92 who does have a a bit of dementia she's still living alone at home and she said to me oh gabby love i forget everything and i said well you've had such an amazing life your brain's so full of stuff and things are going to slip out you know and she said that's how i'm going to look at it and and i you know i do think as we we've got so many things we're juggling we've got teenagers we've got all kinds of other work commitments we've got things going on in our families you know there's lots to remember but it isn't fun is it when you can't recall that name especially when you're on live television <laughs> or you're <laughs> yeah or you're just or radio yeah yeah <laughs> you're just yeah exactly so what can we do paul well, I, I definitely don't have the live television conundrum that you both have, but yeah, you're right. There's, there's a lot going on and, you know, it's working out how much of that is normal um, and how much of it is actually, you know, something going on in terms of sort of cognitive decline. And yeah, I think we have to be a little bit careful of kind of confirmation bias as well, because we kind of talk about this stuff, don't we? Like, oh, you know, when you get old, you start forgetting stuff. And actually, you probably forgot where the keys were when you were 20. But you don't think you don't give it another no. thought, you know, you sort of you just move on and, and it's not a thing when you forget where your keys are like now. I mean, I'm 49 this year and, you know, it's, you know, it's something. Happening. Toy boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'll come in here again. It's good. <laughs> but um, that's it. And, and you have thrown him all, now, Mariella. I, I, I am all over the place. It's completely. I can't cope with that. I can't cope with compliments. Um, so, so, but it, it, I think one of the problems is with 
it's like anything with aging it's not one thing that's going on and you know when it comes to supplements it's not that i can't say oh yeah do this and everything will be okay but are there are there some foods we should be eating and some things we shouldn't be eating or drinking <laughs> she yeah, says so, pointedly yeah. well, cheers gabby <laughs> breadsticks <laughs> there's, there's yeah. the snack <laughs> <laughs> yeah breadsticks are definitely top of the no they're not um she's drinking yeah, so, red wine i'm joking she's not no, she, well is that okay i mean a bit of moderate alcohol do you know what okay. i am having a glass of red wine gabby good Good. I am because I go to bed now after I've done my program at about 7.30 in the no. evening. And I find, no, not quite that early, but I do find when I come home, I'm so stressed from mm. this thing. It's so long that um, a glass of red wine and that makes me, puts me in a good mood. So is that good for me, Paul? Well, uh, yeah, it's all things in moderation, isn't it? I mean, I'm a big believer in moderation. It's a little bit boring, especially in my field. I think in in the nutritional field, there's a lot of, sort of extremist kind of approaches but it often does come back to just a moderate diet and to your point Gabby it's it's really boring but it's probably you know your whole foods your whole grains oily fish I think would be a really key one um still oily fish I mean still oily because when I was when (laughs) I was even doing GCSEs my mum used to say to me um have sardines for breakfast you want oily yeah. fish as if that was going to make my maths exam go better later in the day but it, oily <laughs> fish is still or cod liver oil i yeah. used to have it in a, in a, on a spoon like there was a, a spoon, spoon in a malt thing oh god i don't oh. know my granny used to give it to me but 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 actually there's uh, uh, you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong here paul but i think because obviously um we don't want the oceans to be devoid of fish that there are also ways of getting that oily fish stuff whatever it is which you're going to tell me uh, from other supplements as well aren't there now like you can have vegan oily fish supplements that's right yeah so what you're looking for from the fish is the epa and the dha in particular i mean there are lots of fatty acids and there are other omega-3s but those are the main ones so when you look at an omega-3 index and um, really what you're looking at is sort of circulating levels of EPA and DHA in the blood. Um, And the better those levels are, there's sort of um, lots of health outcomes are kind of improved by that. If you look at cardiovascular health or brain health, you know, all kinds of different areas. Um, But fish is a really good source because your body doesn't have to do anything to convert it. What you get from the fish is EPA and DHA. Now, if you're talking about the vegan omega-3 sources what you're getting there is alpha linolenic acid so you like for example from flaxseed great source of omega-3 but your body has to do some kind of conversion work to get to the epa so your body makes the epa and the, and the dha from that alpha linolenic acid sorry i'm just quoting all sorts of big words <laughs> I just realized. no no i'm, I'm quite interested <laughs> but, but taking notes yeah but yeah but you have to kind of do that conversion work so not that isn't as efficient it, it your body does it but it's not as efficient as if you do just get it straight from fish so that's why everyone talks about fish as being kind of the best source but you're right and especially your know, veganism and, and people having kind of vegan days or vegetarian days you know flexitarianism all of that there's been a huge growth of interest in those kind of more vegetarian sources vegan sources gabby can i just say um, and uh, it's it, it's references you as well but it's just that you know, writing this book about menopause and and making the program, the one thing that you do come across all the time is people telling women that um, if you just take a little bit of that or, you know, you you, you slather yourself in dead mackerel or, you know, <laughs> whatever, those things are going to deal with it. And I think that there's a, 
there's there's definitely there's a sense that we, you know I've had women say to me I haven't given in to HRT yet and you think why do they feel why are they made to feel that you know having hormonal supplements is giving in whereas popping a few omega 3s isn't do you know what i mean when actually both of them are equally natural yeah, that's, that's it and it's yeah and supplements definitely aren't you know going to give you or i mean there's lots of claims made out in the marketplace and you know there's no it is not one thing i think it does come back to that you know it's diet it's lifestyle it's getting enough sleep it's being aware of your stress levels you know, it's all of that stuff and you know, supplements are a small part of that that may play a role for some people and particularly if you don't like oily fish i mean you know the recommendations are for oily fish one to two portions a week you know not everyone likes so, fish so or is able in those to do cases that. would be would be beneficial yeah. So your body is a strange thing, isn't it? Because I remember when I got pregnant, I had both my children in my early 40s. And my son, I mean, you know, I should have been on the cover of Saga, frankly, because I was like 43 when I, I gave birth to him. And um, when I was pregnant with him, he was a surprise pregnancy because I'd spent a long time, I was about to you know, go down the IVF road with, to, to have my daughter. And then I literally got pregnant five months after, having, after I'd given birth to her. And for about three months, I didn't know I was pregnant. So observant am I about my body and how it changes. But the only sign I had was that I, I, my husband would come home and find me like hiding behind doors, eating sardines out of tins. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that film, The Tin Drum, where the woman goes insane and she doesn't stop eating fish. And I was like, that I couldn't stop, I couldn't stop. And then all of a sudden, as quickly as it started, this obsession, when I was about, you know, I think I was probably four months pregnant. It just stopped and so I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't even look at So he's got an IQ of 168 or something. Or he's something. a genius, Gabby. He's a genius <laughs> like his mother. <laughs> no, but I think that my body, you know, I was nearly, you know, I was definitely perimenopausal by then. If my menopause came seven years later, you know, I was just about to go into perimenopause. And I think my body was going, I need that omega-3, don't you think, Paul? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of weird cravings out there in pregnancy, but I think you're right. I think your body does tend to, I mean, I know, I mean, I, I do um, marathon training for a big part of the year and yeah, my, my appetite at those times is enormous and I, I don't have to think about eating more. It just, my body's craving yeah. that extra nutrition. So I, th I think, I think there is something in that. But supplements do work. One of the other things that happens in, in menopause or in midlife, I don't know if it's happened to you, Gabby, you look like you've got lovely locks. But um, mine, my hair got really thin for a while. Not like in lump, you know, not like it was falling out or anything in, in clump, but just got really, really thin. And I have to say, I, I, a friend of mine told me something that Trini recommended. And um, I, it was a supplement. And I took it all the way through lockdown. And the hair's come back. Look. It's gorgeous. Look. I can't. I mean, it's... far a force to eat your heart out. <laughs> okay, okay, that's a gross no, exaggeration. I, I had this conversation earlier today about in lockdown, I um, before lockdown, I was feeling like my hair wasn't as, as thick and as healthy. And I think because I focused a lot more on nutrition in lockdown, because I was cooking really good, we weren't eating out, I was cooking really good meals yeah. for everybody. 
And so therefore the balance of everything was probably a bit better. And my hair does feel like it's come back. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's also a lack of stress, which is a bit perverse mm. to say, because lockdown yeah. can be quite stressful. But no. it's that travel, I travel so much. I'm not going to airports. I'm not rushing through train stations. You know, all the stuff that increases. But I do think, you know, for those of us, you know, who were lucky, who, who were able to lock down with, you know, enough money to buy decent food and, you know, not going to the food banks where there was an 80% increase of people and things. You know, but but for, you know, people who are in a privileged situation, it's the healthiest I've ever been. Mm. You know, I was walking every day a couple of hours. I was taking all my vitamins because I wasn't running out the door every two minutes and forgetting, you know, like today, I left home at seven this morning in Somerset. I'm in London now. And, you know, I, I had my breakfast because I have to eat before I take vitamins. Otherwise, I get really sick. And um, But I just forgot to take them again, you know. But in lockdown, you're, you're just there, you yeah. know. And so you were sort of eating better, taking all the supplements. And I have to say, at the end of it, I really did feel, you know, yeah, as, as good, as, well, as healthy yeah. as I felt, as well as I felt. It yeah, says a lot definitely. about all of our lifestyles, doesn't it? Um, Paul, mm. if there was one thing, I'm going to release you uh, from uh, the, uh, mm. the menopause chat. If there was one thing that uh, we should all think about taking and adding in at this period of our life, say from kind of mid to late 40s through to late 50s, what would that be if there was only one thing? I, I'm, I am going to be a bit boring, to be honest, and I probably am going to go fish oil if you're going to pin me to one thing, because <laughs> I, I think, yeah, there's, and there's so many, there's so many good reasons to do that. I mean, even if you just look at the cardiovascular side of things as well. Um, but, it, but if you look at, you know, the, the sort of recommended intake of fish oil, I think unless you really like fish and oily fish in particular, it is quite hard to get there. So, um, yeah, just just a simple fish oil. It doesn't have to be anything too dramatic or complex. Um, just a basic fish oil every day. If you're going to pin me to one thing for the rest of your life, that's probably. One I thing. like people to have one takeaway. We asked, um, uh, do you know Greg White, who's the fitness trainer who does um, all the sport relief and comic relief? And I said to him, if people are listening, there's one bit of exercise that they have to do. They really hate exercise. And he said, he said, well, it wouldn't be one thing. He said, I'm, he said, the thing is, he said, in midlife, he said, you've just got to train even harder, which wasn't yeah. the news. I, I oh, that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know it, don't you? You just need to hear it. So I think your 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 takeaway is much more accessible, Paul. Thank you so much. Lovely to see you. Pleasure. Thank Take you. Take care. One of the things I've started doing, which I never thought I'd do, I always was amazed at my husband's mum, my mother-in-law, who every night has a bath before she goes to bed. And I used to think, God, oh, yeah, it's nice it's to be retired, fancy. isn't it? Oh, I don't know if I'd want to do that before. And now I've realized that the nights that I do, you know, women are so busy all the time. We're running around. We're trying to do work. We're trying to run families. We're trying to run the world, you know, and, and we never, ever take time out for ourselves. And we certainly don't take enough time out for ourselves. And I think if you get into a routine, even if it is, just have a bath. For 20 minutes before you go to bed even if it feels like it's too late and you've got to be up at six and you've got to you know, just take that 20 minutes out to yourself and sit there alone in the bathroom with the door locked and your own thoughts massively important you know and people will tell you you should do meditation you should do well, that is a form you know, of meditation isn't it in a way you know it doesn't but really... that's what i'm saying it's it, you know you keep it make it simple mm. you know i think a good walk and a nice warm bath 
before you I go to bed. I think that's wonderful wisdom to to take <laughs> away from from this. I do have images though. If, if I have a bath, they would be banging on the door, going, "What are you doing in there?" They would. It would take them a while to get yes. used to the idea. Yeah, yeah, it would. And doesn't that prove to you? how important it is that you do it. Absolutely. Because the reason they'd be banging on the door and going, what are you doing in there? Is because for you to go off and take some time out yourself is such an anathema for most women. I always remember um, my mum's, the bathroom in the family home, the toilet was kind of round the corner, separate to the main bathroom. It was a 1930s Art Deco house. And they obviously had, the, the builders obviously realised that, you know, the toilet should be set. I think it's quite civilised to have the toilet separate. Listen, excuse me. If you want a long marriage, <laughs> to keep the I think separate. Se- separate toilets is essential. But my poor mum, <laughs> I remember one day, I was stood there with some homework. My little brother was a baby at the time on his knees, like in his nappy. My other brother was, holding some kit bag and my sister was behind me in the queue and she was on the toilet with her pants at her ankles <laughs> and she actually it was the first time I'd he- heard her swear <laughs> she was like literally just f- off <laughs> and, and, and I think back now whenever my kids are kind of I've only got two you know and I think back to kind of that sanctuary that she thought she was going to for a few minutes yeah <laughs> just give me peace yeah. it was my so, favorite book when my kids were little what was it called five minutes peace <laughs> I love that book but I think every woman deserves five minutes five peace. minutes peace or 20 minutes in the bath well um, I hope we haven't minutes. kept you from your bath too long tonight not um, at all so... I've just got to finish my red wine and then head to the bath it's so lovely it's to chat to you and um I feel like I could chat to you but I, I said at the very beginning I've never met you but I feel like I've known you my whole life and you've kind of just confirmed that for me in the last 45 minutes so um thank you so much keep being it's been a, such a pleasure you're such a great woman and I just think all of us women out there, we should all just celebrate each other as much as we can, as often as we can, and be well, supportive. Will you be the team captain then? And I'll get some more girls. Surely I'm old enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marilyn. Take care, Gabby. Take care. I loved finally meeting Mariella. And at 57, she is coming to the official end of the midlife, according to the Office for Social and Economic Research. But her attitude and her energy defy that definition and I think are an inspiration for all of us. I love how she's helping to open up the conversation on menopause as well. For both men and women, it's so important. Thank you so much to Mariella, to the nutritionist Paul Chamberlain of Solgar, who, by the way, have some excellent omega-3s, and to Emma Corsham at Rethink Audio. And of course, to you for listening. See you next time.